if we honor ourselves inside, that is the fastest way to dissolve containment and conditioning. Because it sends so many deep signals and invitations that the war is over. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, Awareness Explorers. It's great to have you back in the family and in our exploration of consciousness. And we are honored to have a guest explorer today that I have heard about her for many years, but I am not really familiar with her stuff, whereas Brian is a practically a devotee. He's known her quite a while. Um, before we say uh, hello to our guest explorer, which is Pamela Wilson, uh, let me just check in with Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, uh, Jonathan. Uh, I'm uh, here in New York, and the weather's lovely, uh, and I'm sorry it's not the same for you uh, where you are in California. We got fires, we got pandemics, we got earthquakes, uh, uh, which gives a sense of urgency to awakening. But um, why don't we, why don't we have you introduce our guest explorer since you know a fair amount about her? Okie doke, thank you. Um, well, Pamela Wilson, uh, I'm going to read a couple of lines from her website and then give you a little more personal introduction. Uh, Pamela speaks the truth of Advaita non-duality that the universe is one undivided whole. And for the last 20 years, she's traveled widely in the United States, Canada, and Europe, holding satsang and giving private sessions, and as well uh, giving week-long retreats in Mexico, Costa Rica, France, United Kingdom, Canada, and the USA. And Pamela is very special to me because many, many years ago, I accidentally came across on the internet uh, the works of Ramana Maharshi the great Indian sage from the mid-20th century, as well as Nisargadatta Maharaj. And I thought, this stuff is so great. Who's alive today that's teaching this? And so I just went on and did a search, and I found a website that listed all the um, teachers of non-duality. And there was Pamela Wilson, who was going to be at Sufi Bookstore in New York City. And so I went. So, Pamela, yours was the first satsang I ever went to in my life. Wow. And it was just wonderful. And you used to come to New York a lot at Sufi Books and on that wonderful loft on Great Jones Street. And um, and you were also there to introduce Locke Kelly to the community. And uh, I used to go to One Spirit Interfaith, where you held a lot of satsangs on, in, the, in the West 30s in New York. So... For so long, I thought you were just a beautiful and wonderful teacher, and uh, I'm so happy that you can now join us on Awareness Explorers. So welcome. I'm honored. Well, you know, uh, we're in a good position that I know almost nothing about you, and uh, uh, Brian knows a lot, so I'll begin the question. What, the one thing I do know, because you've been doing this a lot, and I've heard your name through the years, and I just learned that you were very much into the Sedona method at some time. And I'm wondering if that was part of your awakening or how did that, what is the history of how you got into this? Mm. Well, in 1984, I had a house guest, um, Elizabeth Georgievich, and she, I went into her room and I was whining a little bit about my husband saying, um, oh, I'm so sorry, everything isn't as da 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 because, and she goes, I don't want to hear about it. Take this donor method. And I went, uh, because I had been doing TM and the, the advanced TM. So I had the meditating thing down. I just didn't have the mm, serenity in between the meditations. <laughs> so I was very happy to find the sort of walking meditation, which is the Sedona method. And was that? 
important in your awakening to your true nature? Well, Lester was really keen on helping the mind and the emotions um, really return back to balance and healthiness and simple responding. And so I was super steeped in understanding about how the mind works and the emotions. Um, but when Satsang showed up through Robert Adams, and it was after Lester had died, that's when um, there was the noticing that my role was not who I was. Whereas before mm -hmm. the role was determined to awaken and be a splendid, luminous, healthy role. <laughs> right, right. That's a, a trap that a lot of us fall into. So what led you out of that trap? Well, it's natural because, um, of course, we want to live what we love, what we know is true. Yeah, and for most of us, we're, we're always befuddled and sort of surprised and occasionally shocked when the conditioning rises and, you know, disrupts relationships or business or daily flow. So there's this natural longing to return to balance and healthy beingness. So I thought it was me that woke up. Hmm. You know, surprise. Yeah, and that's okay because me, me was very innocent and ardent and determined to return to freedom. <laughs> so I have to bow to her doggedness. She is amazing. Go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and evident, evidently, she did go. <laughs> Nicely said. She relaxed back into her beingness as well. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of doggedness, um, there's something that you and, and Jonathan actually have in common. Uh, Jonathan wrote a book called Conversations with Dog, in which the leading <laughs> character is a golden retriever. And you wrote a book called A Golden Retriever's Guide to Joy, Helpful Hints for Humans. So I thought it was just what a wonderful coincidence that not only did you both write spiritual books about dogs, but they were both golden retrievers. <laughs> we used to call my dog the golden receiver. Ah, <laughs> I like that. Everywhere she went, she was honored and adored and loved. Yeah. Dogs in this culture are, are almost like gurus in India in that they open people's hearts People become present. They become almost childlike in their connection with them. And it's beautiful to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dogs don't ask much of us. And they have low standards for enjoying, which I really appreciate. <laughs> and low standards for loving. You know, I remember the one of my first ahas. I was in my 30s and driving around with my golden retriever, and we stopped at a um, stop sign. And these construction guys were over there, and um, my dog looked at them with, was instantly smitten and wagging, full body wag. And I go, oh, my God, you love everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like shocked, like, oh, no. I thought, you just love me and a few people. <laughs> Another wonder, example of how we're, you're not special. The ego's not special. Yeah. Yeah. And dogs don't see the differences that we humans see among other humans. Dogs don't see race and they don't see class. They just, they just sense on a whole different level. I was wondering if similar things brought you to, to write your, your your books uh what 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 brought you to write such a book well for me it was um i wanted when i was quite young i had a one of those crises when you're a teenager where i was desperate for truth and some clues mainly when i reflect back about emotions and how to be with the head and and you know just 
how to be with the human tribal members. And I went to my library at school and I couldn't find anything about emotions. I mean, of course, this was a while back. Now there's, you'd find a lot. But um, I wanted to write a book that would be, um, that would resonate with anywhere from teenagers to 90 year old fundamentalist great grandmothers. And that didn't have any spiritual jargon and was so direct and so simple, but deeply wise. And I thought, ah, perfect dog. (laughs) (laughs) We came to a similar conclusion. That's great. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, you know, you mentioned that you went to Robert Adams, who's a teacher I've also heard of, and something about his satsang helped you to change how you were looking at this from Pamela wakes up to Pamela does not wake up, that awakeness wakes up mm-hmm. or awakeness is there and you just let go into that. Tell me a little bit what that process was like. Well, I was a spiritual workaholic and with Lester's work, I mean, sometimes from two to four hours a day and there's probably exaggeration in there, but it sure felt like that. I said to a friend, um, I've done enough spiritual practice for a small village. Where is this freedom stuff? (laughs) (laughs) And then you realize you are doing it for the small village called humanity. So when I, the first satsang I went to was with Robert Adams and I walked in the room and there was this huge field of unshakable presence and stillness and peace. And it was like, ah, like an exhausted traveler. I just stopped. And it was the first time I hadn't done anything, no mantra or sutra or releasing or long distance running or hiking. And just sitting there basking was amazing. Mm. So that was, oh, thank you, God. (laughs) (laughs) And then you also um, were with Neelam for a while as well. Uh, Is that that correct? Was that before, after Robert Adams? After after Robert passed, a group of us asked Neelam to come to Sedona to um, sit with the Robert Sangha. They were, we were all plunged into sorrow and loss and grief. And And from these experiences, you know, you hear a lot about people uh, working hard spiritually, meditating, Sedona, whatever. And then kind of like your experience, they finally realize all that effort is actually getting in the way of being their true nature. So what advice would you have for somebody who's who's kind of at that place where you were right when you were meeting Robert Adams? Hmm. Well, I, I think it's awfully choiceless, totally choiceless. The The passion for freedom or wakefulness or clarity or to unveil the heart, return to compassion, it's choiceless. It's you're kind of drafted into it. It's once again, it's also not personal. I mean, because the amount of um, juice that's in the longing, it, it it's kind of um, consciousness calling back its own. So, I feel anybody who's questing is a sage because that's their resonance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's our resonance is just bringing us back to the heart of everything. Yeah, so I, I would, um, I'm not one of those that says stop seeking, you know, I invite you to notice, everyone to notice that it's longing and it's also the body mind that wants to return back to freedom and clarity and rooted unmovingness and big heart. So just to say yes and then the mischief is time and progress and we're getting somewhere and all that. So just to notice that if it's real, that which the great promise 
And then it's not in time. It's already here. So I invite folks to look into the background of their body, which I call behind the theater, or into the right side of the chest, Ramana's cave of the heart, the spiritual heart, he called it. And just to notice that that serenity, that absolute stillness is what's looking for itself. And it's the one that was taught it was so-and-so and it lived here and it was American or whatever. It's the one that is so receptive that it allowed itself temporary imprinting, temporary conditioning as it navigated humanness, which is, as we know, quite a conundrum. (laughs) (laughs) I notice a lot of people come to you with particular questions about the states that they're in, either the states that they're in that they don't want to have anymore or the states that somehow they aspire to having. And, and, Mm. and, And then I heard a quote from you in the when you spoke at the science and non-duality conference that said, there isn't anything that's arising that doesn't bring its gift. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful. So when people come to you with their problems and say, you know, I, I, you know, I'm just not there yet, or this is happening and I don't want it. Mm. Um, is that, is that something that you, you realize that what they don't want is not necessarily something that they have to avoid or get rid of or, or work around, but mm-hmm. an opportunity. But, you know, we all notice how, um, here's that word again, dogged emotions are and uh, reruns are and uh, replay in the head is. So I invite folks not to touch the content, but notice what function is moving. And then who's animating that function? Because there's no way you can arm wrestle with consciousness or life. I mean, people have been arm wrestling for, I don't know, millions of years with all this stuff. And and nobody has tamed it or quelled it or even liberated it. So finally, there's this moment. And Stillness once showed me this great image of um, an, like a gorgeous Asian warrior with his sword fighting for his life and every movement was matched and then top there was no way he was going to win so he finally went to his knees and bowed his head waiting for the his head to get chopped off which is another parable (laughs) and He noticed nothing happened, so he got curious, lifted his head, and noticed he was in a a circle of mirrors. So the reason he couldn't prevail was he was fighting himself. And the mirror image was just as masterful a swordsman as he was. And yet, He noticed when he went to his knees and bowed his head that all the other swordsmen were on their knees and bowed their head. So for me, that's the result of, gosh, decades and decades and decades of curiosity and inquiry is that everything responds beautifully to being honored and respected. And then you can show it its true nature. But if I'm trying to get rid of something, it has to dig in. It's like a law of nature. And our trying to get rid of our problems or the current situation we're in kind of keeps the prison bars fully there. Yeah, they're also imaginary prison bars. But since imagination is, there's such a clue in that word, mage, the original magician called life or consciousness or intelligence. It's, it wants us, it's inviting us to notice everything. Yeah. So the noticing is, is an ongoing invitation. Yeah. 
you use the term the background of the body, which I was intrigued by. And also, I, I'm not familiar with Ramana's right side of the chest idea, but I like ideas related to the body that way, especially as they are in awakening. I'm wondering if you can say more about what you mean by those. Yeah. Um, the word theater actually has the word Thea in it, which means God, Theo or Thea. And the your whole torso area, if you feel into it, is a theater. There's this wide open space, and then there's comings and goings and passionate displays, and then oceanic sorrows, and then protests, and it's pretty exciting. It's, if you're relaxed, you're going, whoa, okay, here we go again. So it's kind of cool to notice that all those protestings and passions and, you know, a lot of them have a lot of clear seeing in them. Because they're responding and reacting to human conditioning that is not balanced. You know, when we get a whole outrage thing rising up, it's because clear seeing is going, oh my God, you're kidding. What? You know, so I really like honoring the clear seeing inside and honoring that um, it emotions they actually love what's real and true yeah now then the mind can interpret as a good stage director or screenwriter can and so our job as the background is we're actually theater managers really <laughs> it's like okay kids all right hello <laughs> <laughs> and then you just add a little compassion and reassurance. And then I like to show the entire troupe its true nature because otherwise they'll rest. So much of spiritual practice will allow the body mind to rest and the emotions to rest. But the next heartbeat, they'll all be up in arms again with just cause or just because they're tired or whatever. So it's kind of, that I once asked stillness, I go, hey, you know, here I'm resting. I know I'm no one. I don't need defending because I'm eternal. Why are there all these old-fashioned services? And stillness said, well, you didn't show them their true nature. I went, oh, I was going around the world helping friends see their true nature, but I forgot to do it inside. Mm. So that's my play. That's my passion. So it's sort of like we uh, we think we're actually the characters we're playing on this stage filled with drama. And when we step backstage from the stage manager's point of view, we, we, we see that it's all just a play, that we're not really King Lear, as Rupert Spira might say. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I also know from your website that you do sessions with people. And I'm wondering... Uh, it's always good to ask people uh, into Advaita what they do, <laughs> which is an oxymoron. <laughs> so what do you do with your not doing? Um, so what do you do in your not doing sessions? Oh, you know, the usual. Life carries on, gardening, cooking, you know, buying produce. No, I mean, when you do one-on-one -on -one sessions with people. Oh, oh, that's my, I call it the magical mystery tour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because we can start anywhere with, oh, I don't like my neighbor or, you know, whatever. And we just keep honoring and honoring. And all of a sudden, there's this just like deep, unshakable presence that gets unveiled because all the movements are animated by the unmoving. So when we honor, the movements, then they can know themselves and rest back. And then there's more felt sense of space, which is actually all we ever wanted. We didn't want all these highfalutin enlightenment words. It's just like, could we have some relief? Could we have some felt sense of space and oneness? So I'm fascinated by the whole idea of honoring. Is, is honoring meaning meeting whatever is arising as if it is all the one 
Or, yeah. or how would you put it? Yeah, absolutely. Because it is. Not as if. <laughs> right. <laughs> Notice <laughs> that it is. That's it. And, it, you know, our mind out of love wants to clear the inner field for us so we can have that yummy sense of well-being and rootedness and all as well. Um, but it goes about it in a, a kind of martial way, a warlike way. So I used to say with my releasing, I was, um, I was definitely, uh, making war to get to peace, which is very human. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I I like the word honoring because I haven't heard that so much. I sometimes hear people say love or allow. Are those synonyms or is it slightly different to honor the current uh, made-up story we are are traveling? Well, I actually, um, the insight arose from reading something from Papaji. Somebody uh-huh. asked him to sum up his teachings, a young Western journalist, in one sentence, which actually somebody should put in a book because pretty much all sages have done that. And Papaji's response was, look within, approach everything with devotion and gratitude. Uh-huh. Stay as heart. And I remember reading out and going, and this was even after the shift. I'm going, what? Because I was still in my Sedona, you know, with my Zen stick whacking everything. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I'll try it because I, you know, when you get a seasoned sage that sums up their pointers in one sentence, you're, you're going to give it a go, right? Yeah. So I looked within. I looked at the mind and I approached it with devotion and gratitude, which is my way of like, like an inner bow, but a very sincere one. I'd been doing that out and about in the world with people, but I hadn't thought to do it inside. And the mind was so surprised at being met with sincere devotion, gratitude and respect that it blew open. I mean, it it had often come to rest, of course, through grace or a good hike or beautiful music or hearing the truth, but it totally blew open. And I was like, oh, my God, what? (laughs) Then there was really like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then occasionally after that, it would go back into, you know, whining, complaining, or replaying or whatever. And and then since then I finally got who it was and went, Okay, God, what are you doing? And then it would start laughing. <laughs> so now occasionally if I don't sleep well, of course the body mind will start some old fashioned stuff, but at least there's kindness and respect now. So when you say approach everything, you really mean everything. Yeah, and that includes aversions, natural aversions, yeah. And I'm still working on it. I haven't quite approached plastic with devotion and faith yet. I'm I'm <laughs> saving some aversions for <laughs> my old age. Uh-huh. <laughs> We all have our political figures that we are are working with as well, probably. I, I really like what you said with that, Pamela. Uh, when I, I did a book 25 years ago in which I interviewed 40 spiritual leaders, and I asked them all the same question, which was, what's your best advice for mm-hmm. spiritual seekers? Mm-hmm. And I was surprised that the most common answer was to devote, uh, approach everything with gratitude. Oh. I hadn't expected that. And it was interesting, you know, like the Dalai Lama said that, late Mother Teresa said that. And it really um, tapped me into that. And of course, in psychology, you know, they tell 
have about, you know, you should keep a gratitude journal. But mm -hmm. this is really a, a moment to moment angle of which you're approaching everything. It's not something you so much, you know, I'm grateful for my legs. It's more mm -hmm. like everything is a gift. Yeah. And even, even the gnarly gifts. Yeah. So the other pointer, there were, I, oh, I asked, I asked, um, cause I'm very, I don't want to figure everything else out myself because I worked so hard for all those decades that all of a sudden after the shift, it was like, okay, I'm not going to try and figure out anything. I'm just going to ask, you know? So I asked and uh -huh. so I said to Grace, okay, if there's no time, and nothing is what it appears to be. Show me a way to show friends how to liberate everything in no time at all. And then it, that was the first thing it showed me was that Papaji quote, look within, approach everything with devotion and gratitude. The second pointer was Lao Tzu's summation of his pointings was be like a kind hearted grandparent inside and then the third thing was ramana's self-realization happens when the eye thought goes into the cave of the heart on the right side of the chest during the day so that was almost each day grace gave me a pointer which is then now my little music my fat song that I just, in a million different ways, keep repeating. I wrote those down. Those are, uh, are definitely keepers. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And when gratitude, speaking of gratitude, I think when most people try to create a gratitude practice for themselves, they say, okay, what am I grateful for? Well, I'm grateful for the beautiful flowers outside my window. I'm grateful for um, my loving um, parents or children or whatever. It doesn't occur to them to say, I'm, I'm grateful for this pain in my knee. I'm grateful for the annoyance I feel when someone cuts me off while driving. But, <laughs> but those two, right? Actually, if you relax into annoyance and irritation, you can get really high. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed that. You can be happy even when you're sad and upset because b backstage you're happy. It's only on stage where, where all the upset is happening. There's, I, I think of all of us is we're human, we're divine, but much more fun is we're elemental beings. We're natural beings, right? And there's a great joy when inner growling arises and you allow it. And it doesn't have to even come up to the head because that's when it gets ranty, which rants are okay too. But um, just like being with inner growling is like... <gasps> Oh, almost as good as sunlight, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a judgment about it, it's all uh, energy moving through, which is all the divine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember in one of your, one of, maybe it was the third satsang or satsang I ever went to with you down back down at Sufi Books, and... Um, uh, you would always start with a period of silence, and there was a there was a way to get in through the bookstore, but then there was also a door that led to the street, and there would always be latecomers, and they would come in through this door to the street, and they would and it was winter, and they would take off all their coats, and they would sit down, and they would make all this noise, and I, and inside I was saying, this is supposed to be a moment of silence, and all these people are making all this noise, and then. Just something happened. I don't know how it happened, but it's just something popped and said, oh, wait, that's not the silence she's talking about. Mm. She's talking about the silence that was already here before those noisemakers arrived and didn't go away even when they were here. <laughs> and I, I just, I will never forget that. That's wonderful. 
Yay! <laughs> and yeah, we always think we, we, we always think, think we can. <laughs> Jonathan, <laughs> I want. On, but... You're so eager to talk. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> well, we always think that we can have peace or be spiritual once the conditions are just the way we want, mm-hmm. and that lesson that no, the conditions are always perfect. It's our our approach to now that is the our attitude, our angle, or whatever you want to call it, that is the key. Mm. And it just helps to have even the body and the mind know themselves as space. You know, because before, my joke is I felt like one of those crumpled toothpaste tubes where there was just no room in there. My body felt like that. And, and now it's like... Mm. Oh, there is so much space. I can have lions and tigers and bears and swooping, you know, cranes and clunky work boots clomping through. It's like, wow, there's so much room. And there's actually, even though there's preference, we'll all have preference for what we love and resonate with. Um, and preference is really honored here. But also aversion, aversion is honored here. It's like, oh, aversion has so much clear seeing in it. So I don't know. I'm sort of making friends with everyone. Except for plastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the fleas and ticks. So, the, no, I actually, fleas are kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty far. That's pretty far. Maybe you'll have to uh, sometime in the future, like those two Buddhist monks who, who thought that they were, that they were um, totally okay with everything, that they didn't have anywhere to go, so they went and did some shoplifting in order to get themselves arrested, so that they could, <laughs> they could honor getting in trouble with the law as well. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I think I'll skip that. <laughs> I mean, when we think of, it's so funny how the mind offers sometimes experiences, like sometimes here it'll offer, well, you haven't had that. And I go, no, <laughs> 35 million years of existence. I'm sure I've already had that experience. Sure, sure. But it, but you're not saying that we should create experiences. If we have an aversion to an experience, it's the aversion that we, we honor. Yeah, beautiful. That's it. Yeah, because aversion is also just an ancient survival skill. Mm. I like how you said that with a lot of space, you know, aversions or whatever aren't the uh, problem, um, and that we can love even that. Well, another thing you said in that wonderful sand talk was that everything's made of love. Everything is in service to this one. <laughs> Some of it's a little heavy-handed. We go, okay, chill <laughs> <fill> out. <laughs> but it didn't sound heavy-handed at all because actually that was so delightful. I mean, you talked about divine mischief, and uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of laughter too. But no, I mean that the um, life can be a little heavy-handed. Oh, life. Life. No, not me. I'm kind of like... <laughs> light-fingered, not to go to jail, but... Right. Yeah. No, life can be really heavy-handed. So that's another thing I really like honoring is how resilient everyone is. Do you know? Especially mm-hmm. since during these times where, I mean, I'm always amazed by parents being spacious with because kids are elemental beings and you try and tame them and you do your best and everything like that but just these times of people having to shelter in place and and then if there's economic pressure and and feeling contained in your your home and i mean i'm just bowing to human resilience and courage and then when they get fed up, I bow to that too, because yeah, get fed up, get big, <laughs> speak your truth. <laughs> mm. 
Well, soon we're going to have you lead us in a guided meditation, but I'm wondering if there's any any final words of wisdom or advice you have for the, the seekers listening to our podcast? Well, just, you know, one of our cult, I don't know if it's true in all cultures, but at least in the West, one of the um, early conditioning and imprinting is not to honor yourself, mm. not to have this respect, turn around inside and do a bow to the courage and innocence and resilience and um, doggedness and exhaustion and resistance and help and all that stuff. If we honor ourselves inside, that is the fastest way to dissolve containment and conditioning. Because it sends so many deep mm, signals and invitations that the war is over. Mm. Because when a say only a sage would honor within, you know, because usually the the whole deficient sense of self, it's all the mind is always about berating it and putting it down. So this just this movement by kindness, compassion, and clarity really it dissolves all of the spells because it's really just hypnosis a repetitive hypnosis that keeps us small and contained and not knowing our majesty and our dignity and our simplicity mm. well said that's the last thing we think of I know I know well Muktananda I remember I was lucky I got Shaktipat from Muktananda and must have been 80s, early 80s, and he would always say, uh, love yourself for God dwells in you as you, and I'm going, how, how do you get from, I don't like myself, to love yourself, and so I, I just set that aside, I said, clueless, don't know, can't touch that one, but honoring yourself is very different. Love, we have a big file on love, you know, that, well, it has to be immaculate or luminous. Or, but honoring yourself is just like going, wow, like that inner namaste. I'm honoring that divine resilience and intelligence itself. Each one of us, actually all beings have equal intelligence. And then part of the play is this apparent less than or more than and all beings have equal creativity and all beings have equal oceanic love in them so it, it's like wow just noticing to me often the uh, portal so to speak is noticing the resilience and that we're still here despite i mean each one of us has encountered Anywhere from horrific to shocking to sorrowful to devastating moments, and we're still here. Who is that one? Who's seen it all, felt it all, and is still willing to be here? Who is that one? Oh, I really bow to everybody's hearts. Now, Ramana Maharshi, great sage. I call him grandpa, super grandfather, one of the like Lao Tzu's kind-hearted grandparent. He invited us to notice we actually have two hearts. So innocently, we can just look within. So we have the human heart. Sometimes it helps to close our eyes. Human heart slightly to the left of the center of the chest. In India, they call it Shiva's drum, meaning that ancient divinity life itself is feeding the human heart. And then just being curious about the space in your right side of your chest. And just being curious the way innocence would. Not knowing, but just looking or feeling or gazing. 
You can trust what's felt or noticed. Noticing invokes wisdom. What's felt there? It could be defended or open. Either way is fine. And as awareness or innocence, we could say hello to that presence there. Sometimes it feels like absence, like nothing's there. Same, same. Presence, absence. Same, same. And then as devotion and gratitude, just bring it a gift, maybe the gift of your respect or the constancy of your being with it for just a few more heartbeats. And instead of asking Ramana's great question, who am I? Awareness can ask, who are you? To that presence in the cave of the heart on the right side of the chest. Just inviting it. Hmm to reveal itself in any way it likes. How beautiful to have one heart that has a steady, audible rhythm and another heart that's silent. And if it starts to uncontain itself, just express gratitude or confirm with yes or without any words. All the heartbeat in the human heart is ever saying is thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just noticing how the formless spiritual heart can cradle the human heart and spread into the torso area, soothing and balancing and permeating. And just even inviting space to get even bigger, uncontaining itself from the body. Spaceless space, Robert Adams called it. Spaceless space. Lao Tzu's kind-hearted grandparent. Just notice that awareness is formless and space is formless. Everything is made of formlessness. So like water meeting water, formless awareness meets formless space. So could we rest here forever? Why not? <laughs> Why not live as substratum and warm, benevolent, all-welcoming space? Rooted and flowing. Mm. Namaste, everyone, bowing to your dear hearts, bowing to this one mind, one heart, one warrior belly strength substratum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was wonderful. Um, I really like that experience of 
feeling my spiritual heart on the right side. I haven't had that experience before or that type of instruction before. And it's really a, a great and simple way in. Yeah. When the going gets tough, we can always take refuge in the right side of the chest. It's like, hello, help. Right, right. <laughs> like having your own Ramana or sage cave. Yeah, we carry it with us wherever we go. So it's not like we don't have to wait to attain some special state in the future when we carry that with us wherever we go. Well, thank you so much, Pamela. It's been a great honor to meet you after all these years of hearing your name and and really imbibing what, what you have to offer. Mm, likewise, Jonathan. And for mm -hmm. me, after all these years of, uh, of uh, feeling New York's um, feeling of being bereft without you here, <laughs> but... Uh, now that we now that we have you on Awareness Explorers, it's like having you back. So Yum. thank you so much. Happy to return to Manhattan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank mm. so, you both and all listeners. Yeah. And to our listeners, uh, we have a bunch of guided meditations at awarenessexplorers.com. We have a Patreon page where you can get stuff for supporting us and we really appreciate the support and the way to support you and your friends is let people know about this because as as brian says you can say it brian that what you say at the end of our podcast because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself and those you love yes well i like that <laughs> thank you i think we wrote it together <laughs> <laughs> till next time friends always keep exploring yes yeah. exploring keep bowing keep bowing <laughs> thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers to learn more you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app we'd love it if you would post a review and please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.